I was just kind of chuckling to myself because I'm going to ask you to stand up again. <laughs> we like to honor God's word as we read it, and so get up. No. <laughs> We're going to start, it's, a, it's part one of a two-part, maybe even three, we'll see what happens, but in talking about Abraham, and so the verses are going to be 8 through 22 for the next, at least two today and next, next week, possibly beyond that. I'm going to read this morning verses 8 through 16, which we'll look at this morning. By faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, Lord, again, your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. You show us where we are. You point us to where we need to be going. I pray you grant us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, that we might grow. You said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I would pray, Lord, the things I've prepared, break them fresh, feed us, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help us, Lord, to take these things to heart as you, will, you, you are directing us this morning at this time in this place for your glory. So please bless this time now in your word. Amen. You can be seated. Two girls were talking, and one of them said she had ten pennies. The other girl looked at her hand and only saw five. She said, you only have five pennies. The first girl replied, I have five, and my father told me that he would give me five more tonight, so I have ten. She understood that her father's promise was as good as done. God is the God of promise. He keeps his word, even when it seems impossible, even when circumstances seem to be saying just the opposite. God makes a promise. Faith believes it, patience waits for it, hope anticipates it. God's promises, someone said, are like the stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. So for the next two studies, we consider Abraham, faith, and the promises of God. Abraham is one, if not the, greatest example of faith in the Bible, Old Testament and New. He is the father of all who truly believe in Galatians of those who believe are called the seed of Abraham. 
Abraham, because of his faith, was called the friend of God. Abraham's faith is given extended coverage in Hebrews chapter 11. Close runner-up is Moses. But in in these verses about uh, Abraham, historically, they cover the chapters 12 through 50 in the book of Genesis. The lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, or what is called, who are called the patriarchs. Stephen, in his preaching in Acts chapter 7, begins at the same place. In Acts chapter 7, he said, Stephen, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, talk about that in a moment, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And so Stephen just begins going through the same uh, historical account from Abraham all the way to Joseph. In his Hebrews commentary, R. Kent Hughes writes concerning Abraham. Scripture indicates that he was a citizen of the city of Ur, located on the Euphrates River in what is today southern Iraq. Ur was already an ancient city in Abraham's time and boasted an elaborate system of writing, sophisticated mathematical calculations, educational facilities, and extensive business and religious records. The city was dominated by a massive three-stage ziggurat built by Un-Namu during the beginning of the second millennium B.C. Each stage was colored distinctively with the top level bearing the silver one the silver one-roomed shrine of Nemu, the moon god. The royal cemetery reveals that rituals, that ritual burials were sealed with the horror, horrors of human sacrifice. So Ur, advanced as it was, was nevertheless in the bonds of, the, of, dark, of darkest paganism, and Abraham, as an idolater, was part of its conventional social and religious structure. In other words, Abraham was an idolater. Now, as in Ur, so as in our nation, this whole, what he calls darkest paganism. And yet that's what God called Abraham out of. God makes a promise. Faith believes it. Patience waits for it. Hope anticipates it. God's promises. The word in the Greek is, would be an, an announcement. Primarily, it's a law term, interesting. It denotes a summons or an undertaking to do or give something. A promise, God's promise, the word in the Greek. It frequently stands for the thing that is promised. So signifying a gift graciously bestowed rather than a pledge secured by negotiation. So it's not this back and forth, okay, I promise, you promise, but rather it, many times it denotes this gift graciously bestowed, and thus are the promises of God. The word promise is found 18 times in the book of Hebrews, seven times in chapter 11. Now, I'm going to ask you, I hope you have your Bibles out. Just follow me. I'd like to read some of these promises. In fact, I'm going to read them all. There's 10 of them before we get to chapter 11. There's seven in chapter 11. There's one following in chapter 12. So Hebrews 4.1, are you with me? Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Hebrews 6.12, love the pages. 
Turn them on. That you do, do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Hebrews 6, 17. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So he had a promise, he promised, and he also swore to it with an oath. Notice that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. There is something that's impossible for God, is to lie. Impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Hope anticipates it. Hebrews 7, 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, this is talking about Melchizedek, which we've studied, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had what? The promise. Hebrews 8, 6. Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he, Jesus, is also mediator of a better covenant, notice, which is established on better promises. Hebrews 9, 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promised, literally, the promised eternal inheritance. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? He who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Hebrews 12, 26. After Hebrews 11. Who his voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only earth, but also heaven. There's coming a shaking. God promised it. English, the English word promise speaks of a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. That would be the noun. The verb would be to assure someone that one will definitely do, give, or arrange something, undertake or declare that something will happen. It also has this indication of future excellence, future success. For example, that young man has promise. These things look promising. Like maybe the Seahawks. They're looking promising. <laughs> now, I want to stop for a moment in this whole area of promise for a character check. Myself, I'll ask you the same. Am I a man of my word? Am I a man who keeps my promise? Are you a man or a woman of your word? Do you keep your promises? You see, Jesus said, you've heard it was said, you shall not swear falsely. In other words, whatever you're going to swear, don't lie. But shall perform your oaths to the Lord. I say to you, do not swear at all. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. How simple is that? Just do what you said you'd do. Do what I said I'll do. In the movie Mary Poppins, 
The two children, Jane and Michael Banks, jumped into bed after their incredible first day with the amazing Mary Poppins. Jane asked, Mary Poppins, you won't ever leave us, will you? Michael, full of excitement, looked at his new nanny and added, we will, stay if we, will you stay if we promise to be good? Mary Poppins looked at the two, and as she tucked them in, replied, that's a pie crust promise. Easily made, easily broken. We'll be good. A promise should be given with caution and kept with care. He who is the most slow in making a promise is the most faithful in the performing of it. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you will promise, I love this, if you will promise less and do more, your boss will eventually put your name on the door. <laughs> Psalm 15, interesting psalm. Just to start out, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell on your holy hill? And then verse 4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Whatever that might mean. So a simple outline for these studies, if it helps you. Verse 8, Abraham went out. We're talking about faith in the promises of God. Abraham went out. Secondly, Abraham waited. And then we'll get this next week. Abraham was tested. The promises of God, faith. He went out. It says by faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I love that, don't you? Because I feel like that all the time. So in Genesis chapter 12, we get the Lord saying to Abraham, get out of your country. Leave. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless. You're going to be great. You're going to be a blessing to the whole world. So Abraham departs, and he goes on these little journeys. He goes to Haran, and then he goes here, there, and Kate winds up in Canaan, passed through the place of Shechem, then to Morah. Then, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I'll give all this land. And he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called the name of the Lord. So Abraham, so Abram journeyed going on, going on still toward the south. So God's call to Abram initially was in Ur. The family moved and settled in Haran. There, that's where Terah, his father, died. Abram then moved to Canaan, among other stops, on the way. And there God appeared to him and confirmed that this is where he wanted him. So Abraham's journey had him going to many different destinations and in many different directions. Here, there, and this place, and that place. Haran, Canaan, Shechem, Morah, Bethel. Here's what I want to, my first thought in this application. You know what's most important? that we read here, is that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. His direction was obedience to God. That's what directed him. In every moment of every day, my next step can be in the direction of obedience to God. Even if my last step or my last several steps or my every step was and were disobedient. My every next step can be in obedience to God. He went out, he obeyed God. 
through repentance, by turning around, changing my mind. That's taking that one-step choice in obedience to God. That one-step decision, that one change of direction to be going to the places, the destinations that God has for me. Had Abraham not obeyed, never went out, we would not be reading of his faith. The promises of God would have been meaningless to Abraham. And until a person, and maybe it's you this morning, maybe you're watching, until you take that first step of obedience by obeying the gospel, coming to Christ in repentance, until that happens, all of God's promises are meaningless. In fact, Corinthians, Paul wrote, all the promises of God in him are in him, yes, and in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. So let me make sure I'm being obedient to God this morning by declaring to you the gospel, God's first step for you in being saved from your sin, from death, and from hell. And Jesus said there is no other way. No other direction, no other destination, none of it. Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you promise will be saved. He says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. In other words, as the gospel of good news is preached, what it's indicating is there's something wrong in the heart. There's something not right with God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict you of these things. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It requires the confessing of sin and of Jesus Christ as God's only way by which you can be forgiven. That's why it's such good news, because no one is saved in any other way except by putting their faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, or that every one of us, we are beggars coming to Jesus to find what we need for the saving of our souls. Wow. That's why it's called good news. That's why it's this message from God. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, promise, will not be put to shame. Now, I will say, all of us will say in this room, if, if, we, if our sin was exposed, we would be ashamed. Jesus came to take away our sin, and the, his love covers our sins through his blood shed for us. God himself is not ashamed, as we'll see here even of Abraham. For whoever, who, whoever calls the name of the Lord promise will, shall be saved. Wow. Now, if you've never come to Christ, you've never put your faith 
in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for your sin to pay the penalty for your sin and God wants to exchange all your sin for all his righteousness, but you must come. It's an invitation. It's a decision. It's a choice. Why? Because any meaningful relationship must be a choice. And God wants a meaningful relationship with you. He's provided for that relationship to be reconciled through his son and invites us. The invitation, come unto me all you who labor and heavily, I will give you rest. But they have not, Paul goes on in Romans, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And here it is, this verse I quote often, so that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did God say? What did he promise? What does he need? And it's all there, it's clear. And my faith in the things that God says is always a necessity if we're going to be walking in obedience to God. So Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Uh, honey, <laughs> the Lord told me to pack our bags and we're moving out. Well, she says, where are we going? Um, I don't really know, but God told me he'd show me. And that's always the case. Our steps of obedience will always be God telling us the next step or maybe a few steps ahead. I find a lot of times it's the next step. Even as Philip went down, he's in the middle of a great revival in the book of Acts in Samaria. I mean, his, him personally being used for miracles after miracle, preaching the word, people responding to, and God says, okay, the angel comes and says, uh, Philip, I need you to go down to Gaza. Are you kidding me? It's the desert. Nothing happened. Lord, this is, but he, Philip went. God didn't tell him what the next step was. He said, you go. So he went to Gaza, and what's the next step? He sees this, this chariot. And so they go, what's the next step? Go stop the chariot. Okay, stop the chariot. Then the Ethiopian eunuch is in there reading from the scriptures. Phil said, well, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I understand unless someone tells? Okay, well, can I come up into your chariot? Can we sit together? And he starts preaching the gospel. One step, one step until what happens? The guy gets saved in the chariot. What prevents him from being baptized? Hey, if you believe, so down they go, they baptize. And then this glorious step that he had was God taking him away. Uh, so he was just, what happened? Where's Philip? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's what happened. but So does this mean that we do not plan? Well, that somehow planning is unspiritual. Planning is foolish. Well, let me read you some Proverbs. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, there are many plans in a man's heart Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Proverbs 20, plans are established by counsel, and by wise counsel, wage war. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So the question is this. In planning... What the scripture is giving us is the wisdom in that, the necessity of it, the, the diligence that should be put into that, thinking through what's coming up, what's happening. And we do that in many different ways, lots of different styles. But really, the warning comes in is in the attitude that I have about that. So Proverbs says, go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> 
Isn't that a great word? It's like so descriptive of the word itself, sluggard. Consider her as we was, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers the food in the harvest, plans and goes out. How long will you slumber? The question is, are we getting lazy? It's easy to get tired. It's easy to get weary, for sure, but not lazy. James puts it this way. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there by buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, are you where you thought you'd be today, yesterday? How about last week? Where did you think you'd be last week? Last month, last year, last... You know, and you start thinking about how things have unfolded, and probably a lot of it's nothing like what you ever even thought of or I ever thought of. For what is your life? <laughs> I love how James does this. Is even a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanish away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live. <laughs> and then he says, and the, but the first question is, is God going to even ha- let me live till tomorrow? I mean, James just nails it as far as understanding that we, as best we can, we plan. We know God wants us planning. We're thinking we need his direction. We need his counsel. We need other people's counsel. There's battles going on and wars going on. But bottom line, our lives are in his hands. And we do well to live our lives by faith in obedience to God as he directs us. So James says, but now you boast in your arrogance. The attitude is everything. All such boasts evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. If I know what God wants me to do, he's given me directive, the direction, the destination, if you will, and I don't do it, all the planning in the world is contrary to what God would have for me. So as believers, how can we know what the Lord wills? That's a great question. And we wrestle with that in the practical things of life often. But let me just share a couple things. First of all, acknowledging sin because it will always interrupt the communication with God. That's the start point. And then trusting in the person and power of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us as believers. We have the Holy Spirit of God. He is going to be speaking to our hearts. How? By being in the Word of God. By being in that place of the presence of God in prayer. By staying in fellowship. By not being anxious, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, I find more and more, I lean into the peace of God. Do I have a go from God? Do I have a peace? I may not quite understand what that's going to mean, but do I have a peace from God in what I'm doing? No? Yeah, I know what that's like too. (laughs) Other things, fellowshipping with the people of God. Getting counsel from trusted friends. Here's one for me. Guard my mind from overthinking everything. Which I believe is what James is addressing, the double-mindedness. You see, behind the scenes of life, 
It is the invisible hand of God's providence. God works within our decisions in such a way that we might acknowledge his transcendent presence, his power, his goodness. I like that song. I haven't sung it in a long time, but it came to mind. This is my father's world. One of the lines says, though the wrongs seem oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. You know, I should have been dead many times. I was a stupid male teenager. I don't know how much of that stupidness went away over the next few years. But I look back, the hand of God in my life. As I'm saying often, I'm still above ground. When I was terrified at one point in my life when I wasn't walking with the Lord. And I would be saying to myself, if I die right now, I know I'm going to hell as sure as I'm living. I had to get out of New York. And as I'm driving from New York, in the middle of the winter, across the states in the northern top, and, back, and then going, saying to myself as I'm praying there, by myself in this van, in the winter, Lord, just get me to California and I'll find you there. Now, that is a ridiculous thing to even say because I, didn't know, I don't even know if God's still in California. But, <laughs> but back then, I think he was. <laughs> I'm really, I, that, God's my witness. That was my prayer. That was what I said. Just get me. And little did I, I came to acknowledge after the fact that that little van, Maxi Dodge Maxi van, that I made into my little RV, and half of it was a bed and a TV, and half of it was my motorcycle and my, or my earthly belongings. And I realized that that was God's delivery vessel to California and to Costa Mesa. And I thought, you know, thank you, Lord. Because, I mean, Jonah had a much worse delivery vessel. I had a pretty nice one. That is the providential hand of God. And every one of us has a testimony. I love Psalm 23, the song we sang. I love that song. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Psalm 23, surely what? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So we look back as ones who believe in Christ and are saved by his blood. We look back and say, Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. God's been there directing it, his providential hand, his hand of mercy and grace and love for such a wretch as me, for such a rebellion as me. And Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I shouldn't even been saved. I was like, I should have been an aborted baby, literally is what he said. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved me. Even when we're dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, you've been saved. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, but God showed him. Abraham went the direction of obedience to God. Second, Abraham waited. 
He waited. By faith, verse 9, he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for what? The city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I got a lot of scripture up here. You should, because when we start talking about this city of God, I just want to blow your minds through the scriptures. See, he waited for a city God promised to build him. He promised he'd build it. So, this city, whatever it is, was impossible for him to build. Beyond human creativity, behind human in, in, in ingenuity, behind human, beyond human technology, behind, beyond human craftsmanship and skill. Far out of this world, humanly speaking. Now, to cultured men in the first century, this city, interesting, the city was the highest form of civilized existence, the ideal community, the city. So the human perspective was the city. The highest cultured, civilized. That's changed a lot, hasn't it? Now what he said, which has foundations, contrasting that to tents which have none. Permanency and temporary. The maker is the craftsman or designer or the city planner. It's God, none other. It's the city is entirely designed by God himself. He is the builder which is the one who does the actual work. God built the city as well as designed it. The city would never be were it not for God. This city, this promised city. The city is eternal, more lasting than any of earth's short-lived cities. You see, faith, he had faith in a promised, humanly impossible city as one who moved around in tents. Contrast, contrast. Abraham had faith in a promise, in a promised, humanly impossible city until he made the final move. Out. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been using that scripture often in this political season we're in right now. Our citizenship is in heaven. Indeed, it is. And I say, amen. Hebrews 11.16, part of our text. They desire a better but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 12, 22. You have not come to Mount Zion, 
and to the city of the living God, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Which includes, is really a picture of the church. Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Abraham waited for a city God promised to build. Impossible, except God does it. And he promised he would. Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Philadelphia. Jesus says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name, citizenship. So in Revelation 21, I'll give you the first two, and then I just want to, I'll peruse through without, um, on the screen. John, now I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The beauty and splendor, if you can picture, of a wedding. The anticipation. The beauty, the building up to the actual aisle, walking down the aisle. The beauty is what John is just trying to describe. How does he describe it? I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Don't tell me any cities like that to compare here at all, ever. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. We're waiting for a city whose builder and maker is God. This is what life will be for us. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of God, out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had great and high walls with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, the three gates on the east and on the north and on the south and on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. So basically 1,400 miles cubed. Plenty of room. The construction of its walls, listen. The construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, jasper and sapphire and chalcedony and emerald and sardonyx and sardius and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and chrys... I don't even know what these things are, but man, I can't wait to see them. <laughs> Notice, listen to this. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl 
And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I'm sure these things point to things and picture things. But I believe what we're reading here is a city. A city that God has prepared. That God built. And will one day come down. Chapter 21 again. I saw no temple in it for the, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Incredible, incredible, eh? Would you say, yeah. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Mount of Transfiguration, that was glorious, but nothing compared to what this is going to be. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But, listen, but. There shall be no, by no means enter anything that defiles. Or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Have you made your reservation for the city? Abraham waited not only for a city God promised to build, but the next one he waited for a child God promised to birth. To birth. You know what I'm going to do? If you don't mind, I'm going to stop there. Is that all right? Because I want to spend some time on this one and the next one and then talk about next week. We'll talk about how Abraham's faith was tested severely. Everything riding on Abraham's faith in the promises of God concerning Isaac. We'll look at that also. So if I can have the worship team come up. And would you stand with me as we sing this last song and then I'll... Let me begin just as they're coming up. Let's just bow our hearts before the Lord. And just re... Lord, we just want to sort of renew our faith. Please, Lord, cleanse us from all our sin. Wash us white as snow. Give us, Lord, I pray. You give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. So we humble ourselves before you. As we reading, studying Abraham's faith, the promises that you've made. Lord, how often we get sort of knocked off our kilter by, by believing something about something without bringing you and who you are and how much you love us into that, that uh, situation or circumstance or relationship. So Lord, we do that. We bow our hearts in prayer to you, asking that, Lord, you would Shine upon us. Give us ears. Give us repentant hearts. Help us, Lord, where we need to change our minds and change our direction through repentance, through confession. So, Lord, we want to worship you right now, right in this room. You are worthy. And we're going to do that now. In Jesus' name. Let's worship him.